In just a moment, I'm going to be reading a passage from the book of Acts, the 19th chapter, beginning in verse 23. We're going to be thinking this morning in this second of the two-part series on dismantling our idols about the economics of idolatry. Uh, Scripture has some very clear things to say and to warn us about concerning the economics of idolatry. Before I do that, uh, before I read the scripture and bring the message, I invite you to pray with me for just a moment. Would you bow? Be silent in God's presence as we wait upon the Lord. Lord, fill our hearts with gratitude always. Give us hearts to trust you more deeply, for we know that trusting you and being grateful are so closely related. Our hearts long to be set free in your liberating love through the power of Christ. We pray that that will happen this morning. We pray that you will lovingly tend to our sick, our heartbroken and grieving, our troubled, those who've lost their way. We pray for our military personnel, for the leaders of our nations. We grieve the continued carnage in Syria, especially the death of children. Oh God, we pray that you will bring peace. We ask that you bless all of our mission partners, bless the ministries of this church. And God, we pray that we would, with whole hearts, be partners in all that you have planned for us. Now guide us with clear and honest thinking. Let the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts, Be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Acts, the 19th chapter, beginning in verse 23. And as I read this, I want to see if, uh, as I read this aloud, if you can pick up on some of the truths about the economics of idols and idolatry. I invite you to stand if you're able. Acts 19, 23 and following. About that time... No little disturbance broke out concerning the way. A man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the artisans. These he gathered together with workers of the same trade and said, Men, you know that we get our wealth from this business. You also see and hear that not only in Ephesus but in almost the whole of Asia... This Paul has persuaded and drawn away a considerable number of people by saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be scorned, and she will be deprived of her majesty that brought all Asia and the world to worship her. When they heard this, they were enraged and shouted, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. The city was filled with confusion, and people rushed together to the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's travel companions. Paul wished to go into the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some officials of the province of Asia, who were friendly to him, sent him a message urging him not to venture into the theater. Meanwhile, Some were shouting one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowd gave instructions to Alexander, whom the Jews had pushed forward, and Alexander motioned for silence and tried to make a defense before the people. 
But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours all of them shouted in unison, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. But when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Citizens of Ephesus, who is there that does not know that the city of the Ephesians is the temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the statue that fell from heaven? Since these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. You have brought these men here who are neither temple robbers nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the artisans with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges there against one another. If there is anything further you want to know, it must be settled in the regular assembly. For we are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. When he had said this, he dismissed the assembly. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. There's an old fable that tells about a bird that traded his feathers for worms. Every day he'd meet the peddler... And the peddler would give him one worm for one feather. And the bird thought to himself, wow, I've got all kinds of feathers. Just look at me. And then one day you know what happened. The bird realized he couldn't fly anymore. In the same way, there's a subtle seduction to our economic idols that we don't even know we have. A feather for a worm. And pretty soon we can't fly and we can't be what God created us to be and all God created us to be because we've traded so many away. And in a way that we don't even notice, we get tangled up and enmeshed in the economic systems all around us, the mentality of consumerism. And here's the saddest part. We get so entangled with the economic idols that when we do get a chance to get free, when we do hear an invitation from Jesus Christ to break out, we're not interested. We're comfortable where we are. We don't, we, we don't yearn to be changed or to be new. We don't long to get out of that idolatry because we've grown comfortable, thank you very much. Or have we? That's the question. This is a fascinating story in Acts, the 19th chapter. The Apostle Paul has just arrived in Ephesus. He will spend the better part of three years here. He's been preaching the gospel. His gospel message was always very clear. Jesus Christ is Lord And the scripture is very clear in verse 26. He preached against idolatry. He said there's only one God, the living God, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Demetrius, a silversmith, became concerned. Because he was the head of a group of artisans, a guild of silver workers who fashioned little miniature shrines to the goddess Artemis, who was all the rage in Ephesus, because uh, Ephesus was the location of the great temple to Artemis, one of the seven wonders of the known world at that time. And Artemis was noticing that his prophets were going down because as people followed Jesus, 
They stopped worshiping Artemis. The, the demand had gone down for the little trinkets he was making. And he pointed that out to the others as well. And he got people stirred up. And he didn't just stir up the guild, the, the, the silversmiths and their employees. They got the whole city stirred up so that they came to the theater, the famous Ephesian theater. I want to show you a picture of the remains of that. Uh, it's, it's an outdoor amphitheater. And you can see people down there so you can sort of judge the size. And archaeologists tell us that the Ephesian theater held approximately 25,000 people. That would be slightly smaller than a baseball stadium, a Bush or Kauffman Stadium. Uh, they usually hold 35 to 40,000 people. So imagine all these people for the better part of two hours just in riotous attitude against this preaching of the gospel that was affecting their local economy. And there was this chanting and yelling and screaming and they couldn't hear each other. Even a Jew, Alexander, tried to speak and because of their uh, prejudice against him, they found out he was a Jew, they shouted him down. And, uh, to show that Luke has a sense of humor, Luke authored uh, the book of Acts under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. In verse 32, he said the noise was so loud, there were so many people that people started turning to one another and saying, now what is it we're protesting? He says that. He said they, they weren't really sure what it was they were there for. They just saw a good row, you know. Well, I want you to notice very carefully how Demetrius, the silversmith, framed the issue in verse 26. He said, now you know that Paul's been preaching and drawing people away uh, from our prophet. And then in verse 27, he says... There is a danger, not only to our financial profit, but to our civic pride. Ephesus is known for the great Artemis. And if Artemis is impugned, then the city is impugned. And we won't have this business coming in. We won't have this civic pride. He appealed to nationalism. He appealed to their fears. He talked about dangers. And have you ever noticed that when our economic gods... Our economic idols are in danger of losing profit. They never talk about their profit personally. They never hit it head on. They talk about appeals to national pride or militarism or civic pride or fear or prejudice or bigotry. They always couch it in a language, well, you know, you know what's going to happen to Ephesus if we don't stop this nonsense? It's not about me. Wasn't Demetrius noble? He wasn't thinking about himself. He said, yes, you better think this through. See, when, whenever we follow Jesus, I mean faithfully follow Jesus, and he is Lord, and we start living the gospel, the economic idols are formidable enemies. The economic idols are formidable foes. And they will come after us. And I believe that is why the Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians 6, 12, a very important verse that many of us know about. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, 
but against the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers of this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Now, it is no coincidence that Paul wrote that to the Ephesians. And you can believe that he had in mind this kind of battle that he had with the economic impact of idolatry when he talked about spiritual forces of darkness working against us. What an interesting... You know, most of us quote that verse free-floating. We quote that verse out of context with with just sort of free-floating with no biblical context. But when you think about it in light of Acts 19, no wonder Paul said that. That's powerful. See, here's our problem. We have been captured by culture, its values, its assumptions about needing more, needing bigger, uh, needing faster. We've been captured by culture and we're being held hostage, but as hostages, we have developed the Stockholm Syndrome. You know what the Stockholm Syndrome is? That means that when someone is kidnapped, he or she starts developing sympathy For the kidnappers, starts developing the kidnappers' values and point of view, and actually begins to believe that the kidnappers are right. And we have developed the Stockholm Syndrome. We have been captured by culture, but we've started buying culture's story about what's valuable. Without realizing it, we've slipped into idolatry the idol worship of our security, the idol worship of our privileges, the idol worship of our ideologies, point of view, the idol worship of our own comfort, and on and on. See, I'll give Demetrius credit. Demetrius was sharp. He understood that if Jesus Christ was preached and believed... He would become Lord, and Artemis would not be Lord. If Jesus Christ became Lord of people's lives, then other gods would not be. Give Demetrius credit. He understood some things that modern-day followers of Jesus do not. The irony that to follow Jesus means that we don't have other gods. That's why Tim Keller, pastor of a New York City church and a prolific author, has said, if you want to change your life, don't change the way you think, change what you worship. If all you do is change the way you think, you might change your mind tomorrow or next week. If you want to change your life, don't change the way you think or what you think, change what you worship. Change who you worship. And to that end, I want to point out to you the very first verse of the text that I read, Acts 19, verse 23. In this opening verse, Luke describes the disturbance caused by Paul's preaching as he preached the way. In some Bibles, that is capitalized, the way. Did you know that that Christianity was called the way before it was called Christianity? It was called the way before it was called anything that we call it today. 
the way, the path. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. See, to become a Christian means, though we are walking away from God, we are saying we don't need God and disobeying God. God loves us and comes after us. To repent means to turn around from walking away from God and by faith to trust Jesus Christ, receive Him into our lives, and to have the courage and power to start walking the way, one foot in front of the other by faith. That's what it is to be a Christian, to turn around and to walk the way. And as we walk the way, we have to daily make choices against idols to keep faithful to Jesus Christ as we walk the way. If Jesus Christ is Lord at all, He is Lord of all. And that means that we don't have other idols. Uh, All over the world today, in the liturgical church year, this is Christ the King Sunday. The Sunday before Advent. Advent launches a new church calendar, a new church year. It rolls over. So the last Sunday of the church calendar year is Christ the King Sunday to acknowledge that Christ is Lord over all we do. If he's Lord at all, he's Lord of all. And he's not just personal, private Lord. He's national and cosmic Lord too. That means he's Lord above all ideologies, all historic figures, all of our pet projects, Lord over all of our economic systems, and he's Lord of our personal finances. You think through the implications of his lordship. And I think that one of the reasons that God wants us to give financially is that he wants us to have the double blessing. When we give financially, people other than us are set free. It might be set set free spiritually or or because of hunger needs or housing needs uh, or any number of ways. But the other blessing of giving is that not only is the other person set free, but when I give, I am set free. I am set free from idolatry because I've made a choice about staying free and not getting enmeshed in this world's system of economic idolatry. I love the way they take offerings in Ukraine. They don't have any shallow plates. They have these deep bags. (laughs) That's faith, isn't it? We need a deep bag instead of a shallow plate. And it's not just a deep bag. It's a deep bag on a long pole. And what they do is they come to a row and they literally stick the bag under your nose. And there's sort of a challenge there, which I think is maybe a parable of the kingdom. Because let's face it. The Jesus way is intrusive. If Jesus is Lord... That's intrusive. He gets in our face. He makes claim on our lives. He makes claim on our finances. He makes claim on our worldview that would set us free from economic idols. Saw a cartoon one time about a well-dressed... It was a cartoon of a man in a well-dressed suit uh, approaching a beggar sitting on the corner of a street but the well-dressed man uh, had uh, 
in his hands keys to his boat, his financial portfolio in a big folder, an iPhone, the deed to his house, tennis racket and golf clubs. And the caption read, as he's speaking to the beggar, I'd love to help you if only I had a free hand. If only, if only you and I had a free hand. Wow. Let's pray. As we bow for prayer, we invite you to respond as the Holy Spirit is directing you this morning. In a moment when we stand and sing at our response time, we will invite you to stop walking the other way, to repent, to by faith trust the Christ who has died and risen for you and begin to walk the Jesus way by faith. We want to help you with that. There are some who want to come and share that decision or let us help you with it or maybe uh, you're walking that new way and you want to join our church. Maybe you just want to come for prayer about another matter. Maybe right where you stand, something can be settled about uh, the idolatries that need to be dismantled in your own life. Loving God, open our hearts now to the power of your Holy Spirit. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.